0: Hello everyone and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we try to do on these SALT Talks is replicate the experience that we provide at our global conferences, the SALT Conference, which we hold Uh, twice a year, once in the United States, and once internationally. And what we try to do at those conferences and what we're trying to do on these talks is provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we are thrilled today to welcome you to the seventh and final installment of our Pandemic Venture Investment Series, where top entrepreneurs, investors, and business leaders dive deep into the challenges and opportunities arriving from the pandemic crisis, and discuss breakthrough technologies that address issues from coronavirus prevention and cure to social distancing and food supply. A reminder, this series is presented in partnership with our friends at Our Crowd, which is a leading global venture investment platform. Today's episode is called The Tech Cure for Fake News and Deep Fakes, and it features Dan Brahmi, who's the co-founder and chief executive officer of sayabra And Vincent O'Brien, the State Department Foreign Service Officer and a former U.S. Army Special Operations Officer. Today's episode will be moderated by our crowd president and CIO, uh, Andy Kay. Just a reminder, if you have any questions for any of today's panelists, you can enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen on Zoom. And with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Andy for the interview.
1: Thank you very much, John. Um, I, as mentioned, am the president and CIO of Alcraft, And joining us today are Dan Brami from Sayabra. Dan was born and raised in Paris, moved to Israel at the age of 14, and graduated from the IDC International Business School. During his career, he spent time at internship at Google and um, founded a startup called B2G, and then went on to become a senior strategy consultant at Deloitte before founding in 2018, Sayabra. Sayabra is a platform that uses AI lens to detect disinformation and filter the real from the fake. Um, we're also joined by Vincent O'Brien from the US State Department. Vincent is a State Department foreign service officer, a former US Special Army uh, operations officer, and has spent um, a recent role as the Global Engagement Center's effort to identify counter Russian disinformation. He served in many places around the globe, including Russia, China, Sweden, Germany, Estonia, Afghanistan, Southeast Asia, Africa, and Central Asia. Vincent uh, got an MBA from Northwestern's University Kellogg School of Management, and today will be representing in himself in a personal, um, with his personal views and in no way is representing the views and opinions of the State Department. With that, thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. Um, what I'd like to ask is the first question, Vincent, if you could lay out the guidelines and definition of misinformation and disinformation and provide some guidelines or examples for the audience.
2: Sure, and can do, and thank you. Greetings from uh, Washington, DC, As by the way. Um, so let's just talk about misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, and its kind of history certain state actors have been weaponizing information for decades, even if today there are new te- technologies that are being employed that make it easier and faster to do so. Uh, in, in the past, you know, they used uh, newspapers and television and word of mouth and the like, but social media um, has become, at this stage of its development, a really very useful medium for those who seek to achieve their goal through deception. So most of what we talk about now will be in the context of digital media, social media, um and uh and basically the internet so let's make sure we're clear on terms <clears throat> um misinformation is sometimes used when the speaker actually means disinformation that's probably because this is a new field but misinformation is actually when someone mistakenly passes on information that they think is true but it's actually false kind of like when a friend or a relative forwards you an email that contains an urban legend that they think is real or there are an alternative cure for some for the, the, the flu or even COVID and that information is wrong and it's actually harmful. The content, the content actually could be a lie, um, but the intention of the sender was not to lie or to harm. Disinformation is different. That is when a group or a person deliberately creates and spreads a lie or manipulated information in order to harm another person or group or to deflect attention away from an issue they believe to be detrimental to their own interests. So Misinformation, I like to remember it as misinformation is a mistake, disinformation is deliberate. An example of disinformation, a recent one would be the U.S. military created COVID-19 as a bioweapon, they brought it to Wuhan, China, and they released it. That's disinformation. Misinformation might be it's a bioweapon that was released from a lab. Uh, We're not sure about that. So There we have it. Now propaganda is something different. That's the act of arranging or organizing information in such a way as to bring about the perception or a perception that would not normally be held if the facts were presented in a straightforward way. I'll give you an example. It's an old example, but it's one that we've been dealing with in my my lifetime, the U.S. uh, government, uh, because most of the time I've spent, uh, much of it I've spent really dealing with Russia. So Here's an old propaganda example. During the Soviet times, the Russian and the US national crew teams uh, decided to engage in a race. There were no other competitors, just those two crew teams. The US team won. The headlines in the Russian state media outlets read this Russian rowing team takes second place in international contest. US team finished next to last. Now that's propaganda. It's true in some ways, but if you look at the facts in a straightforward way, you know that the impression, you know, the, that the facts are totally different than the, what the impression was that you were left with. So that's basically the, def, the, the, the definitions of the three areas of uh, what we
1: will say um, deception um, in uh, social media. Thank you very much. Dan, can you explain the difference between fake and deep fake?
3: Thanks again for this opportunity. So um, the way that we look at this information from our perspective and our own experience is the fact that uh, it's sort of a triangle. Right. Uh, And and then when we look at that triangle, we see that the problem is divided within identity fraud, uh, visual content fraud and written content fraud. So a lot of the people, when they speak of fake news, for example, uh, they, they may not necessarily understand that they relate to the written content aspect, meaning anyone can write anything and then, you know, Go figure out if it's the truth or not, right? So that's one aspect of this information. But, but the other two, which are really interesting and and a really big part of what it is, is the fact that you can when you you know you spoke about deepfake. Um, it's a broader topic around the ability to generate highly realistic visual pieces of content, pictures and videos that may be generated from scratch, absolutely nothing. You press a button on a. You know, publicly available website, and then you can create a picture of someone who never existed before. Meaning, the consequences for this are, of course, you can have a, a really great, you know, application for this, for you know, for the, uh, for the entertainment world, high net worth individuals, celebrities. That's wonderful, but there's a really bad side around this because that means that the, you can create identities, and there's no back trace around it. You can literally create people from the ground up. The other problem around fake is uh, the video aspect of it, meaning I can make myself uh, reenact someone else's, uh, uh, you know, facial expression, even words. I I can do what we call face swaps or facial reconstructions of things and make me save things into Vincent's mouth. And that would be a catastrophe, if, if this is something really, you know, negative in terms of a brand image or in terms of even of a, of a governmental agency or, 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 you know, a country as a whole. And so uh, that's why we look at the problem of visual manipulation as a really uprising problem and threat under that larger umbrella called uh, uh, disinformation. So th- those are the two real distinctions from our perspective.
1: Thank you, and now that we sort of explain these basic definitions, uh, why is COVID or the pandemic exacerbated so those effects? Uh, maybe you want to take that, Vincent, initially?
2: Sure, just unmuting myself. Well, it's a global interest, first of all, so it provides an opportunity uh, for anyone to comment on it, and you'll you'll have... Uh, you, Governments are commenting on it. You have uh, pharmaceutical companies. uh, uh, You have uh, political pundits. And like I said, because it's of global interest, everyone worldwide is tuning into it. So um, because you've got a large audience, it provides a large opportunity for nefarious actors to use it as a, a hook to either push new types of disinformation narratives or to connect longstanding disinformation narratives to exploit this new opportunity. So for example, um, and so I I think I should have said in in the beginning, I deal mostly with uh, state-sponsored disinformation. So many of my examples will be about state-sponsored disinformation. Um, So uh, for the longest time, um, Russia has uh, spread disinformation about uh, U.S. Uh, assistance to countries in their near abroad, you know, the central and eastern Europe in developing um, bio labs, but biolabs for health purposes to be able to detect, you know, cholera and, and uh, um, the, you know, other diseases, not for weapons or the like. And so because we have this global pandemic, now Russia is using it as a platform to push their uh, narrative that these these labs are actually a danger to the people in those countries and um, are uh, an offensive weapon to be used against the united against uh, Russia, which is not true
1: so that 's one reason do you want to add anything to that
3: um, sure i mean on, on my end obviously it's it 's a less uh, elaborated and clever answer than, than what Vincent would say, but i think on on the on the simpler side i 'd say that the fact that these actors that Vincent mentioned earlier, uh, they see an opportunity where people are staying at home, right? The fact that people are staying at home and they don't have to go to their, you know, work offices and they don't have activities outside or at least much less than, you know, pre COVID-19 that represents an ocean of opportunity uh, for good and for bad from a disinformation standpoint, because people are uh, what they called wired. They are wired constantly. They are much more consuming content and news and pieces of information much more broadly than they were previously. So that that's the simple explanation of the more people wired in, the more eyeballs I can draw to a certain uh, snowball effect, right? And the, and the more, the larger the amount of the, the, the larger the amount of eyeballs, then the higher the impact. That can be created around things that I would like to create, or things that I would like to uh, promote actively.
1: Thank you. And, and who are the players in this world of deep fake and disinformation, and, and what are they really out to gain? Uh, Andy, actually, if I could just step back
2: for a minute, something I, w- I would like to add there. The other one of the other reasons why COVID is is exacerbating these effects is because it's new. It's a new phenomenon, and the actual the actual information on it isn't clear. So that's why. It's a great space for disinformation because even the experts who are trying their very best to define it and to explain it and to help publics don't have all the information. That And, and this exacerbated by the fact that the, the, the point of origin of uh, the virus, the country that it came from, you know, uh, China, has not been completely transparent about it. So the learning curve has been a lot steeper than it should have been about this. I think that's just one more reason why COVID has exacerbated the effects of disinformation. But then I'll go back to who are uh, are the players in the world of of deepfakes and disinformation. Um, From the U.S. side, on the government side, the U.S. and our allies have identified three major state players, and that would be Russia, China, and Iran. Jihadist extremist organizations also play a role, but theirs is mostly around recruiting through websites, and they put out disinformation for that reason, but it's different. Um, and Russia and China generally have different goals in mind as well. Uh, I'll, I'll say the Kremlin often. When I say Russia, I'm, I, the Kremlin is interchangeable. So the Kremlin seeks to create chaos uh, in order to just disrupt the current world order. Chaos is their goal. They want to weaken countries um, that they see as threats by manipulation, manipulating their in, uh, in, um, information environments to you know, polarize domestic political conversations, to you know, destroy the public's faith in good governance, in democratic principles, destroy the public's faith in independent media, and in science, and, and in this case, COVID. So that's their general goal. Um, in other words, more like you know, if we can't have it, we wanna make sure that you can't have it either. Beijing's got another goal. They seek to deliberately reshape the current world order to their advantage because of their overall goals of expanding and getting access to resources um, and uh, setting things in such a way that they would have uh, you know, have, um, uh, uncontested global leadership. So they deploy comprehensive, coordinated kind of whole-of-government influence campaigns. They have the resources to do so, and that's the way they do things. 1.4 billion people in China, so they do things big. They like to, and the whole the point of these global information campaigns is to promote and maintain the Chinese Communist Party's narratives domestically and globally, and they use not just disinformation, but censorship, coercion, um, intimidation sometimes of dissidents and others to counter and silence criticism, and portray the PRC, you know, the People's Republic of China, as a benign and positive and non-interventionist power, uh, when exactly the opposite is probably you know with the, the direction they're heading. And Iran's goals are just simply, similar to Russia's, but on a regional scale. They attempt to sow discord and mistrust. Um, in Iraq, especially between Kurds and other groups, and in Syria, and elsewhere in the Middle East, in an effort to advance their goal of becoming a dominant regional power.
1: Understood. Thank you very much. Dan, anything, anyone from the private sector playing here, or individuals?
3: There is. Uh, so I'd like to, to pick it up where uh, Vincent left it, and say, you know, Vincent w- was able to give a, an extremely detailed answer, you know, from a From a public sector, you know, governmental sector perspective, I I think that there are um, there are additional players if if we're trying to look at this from a uh, from a different angle. Uh, There are companies like ours, or private sector companies that are, you know, for profit, or sometimes you know, uh, even NGOs that are here to do some good and bring some transparency to the world. Um, And you also have. What we would like to believe, uh, you know, there's a very thin line between the regulatory space, governmental space, um, academia space, and private companies. To you know, from our perspective as an early stage startup, it feels like um, it feels like there's a problem that is trying to be solved as we speak, and everyone has a everyone has a play, everyone has a play around this. Uh, but there seems to need a certain level of cooperation because, and, and Vincent was right again. You know, because of the fact that the problem is very new. I mean, disinformation has probably existed for much longer than we're thinking of. But the methodologies that it's being applied today, as we speak nowadays, you know, thanks to the advance of of social media platforms, of blogs and forums, and so on and so forth, it makes everything. More accessible. That's the problem, and so that's why we need probably you know deep technological companies like ours that are trying to build those technological solutions that can be used by you know uh, the, the the private sector, whether it's consumer brands, uh, uh, CPG, food and beverage, and so on and so forth, but also sometimes be used by uh, by the public sector itself. Because as much as we would like to believe, sometimes the public sector also might turn to uh, NGOs, academia, and private companies for the sake of strengthening their own internal capabilities up to a certain point. So so my point of view is there must be some sort of cooperation between the four, right? Uh, That's how we look at this.
2: If I I could echo that uh, real quickly, Um, you know, uh, Dan brings up a great point and uh, at the Global Engagement Center and with Department of State and Department of Defense and others, we do actually work with the private sector very closely um, and with NGOs and and, uh, those in civil society who have, over the course of the last five or six years, have become real experts in uh, identifying disinformation, kind of keeping track of it, keeping a database of it, and uh, developing ways to counter it and to educate society. Um, But we really couldn't do what we do without uh, the private sector. I I like to say, you know, there's the speed of government and there's the speed of relevance and the private sector and companies like Dan's and others that are like it move at the speed of relevance. So they've been, this is a partnership that's not going to go away. Um, It's just going to make things better. And uh, we're going to work more and more closely in the future. I can see it coming.
1: So, so really that is our way of protecting ourselves or do you think, are there any other technologies or methodologies out there which can uh,
3: can help us? Um, I think there's a, I think the, the more we move, uh, the more we move forward, you know, from 2016 and forward, I'd like to say that people are starting to understand uh, what is the meaning of that threat, slowly but surely. and And, and I think that, you know, it might not be the role of a private company like ours, who's solely focusing on technology. Uh, but I think that someone should take uh, the responsibility and the, and the role, and the government is starting to do that really well, by the way, um, to educate people, to make them understand and teach them. What it, I don't wanna say what is right from wrong because that's a, that's a subjective point of view. I would like to correct myself and say what is real from fake and how can you educate yourself really quickly to distinguish much better? Because today uh, the technology is out there, whether it's for the visual manipulation where we spoke about you know, deep fakes and such, or whether it's simply encountering a group of 50 bots and sock puppets that are aggressively promoting an agenda Um, I think that people need to understand that before you are engaging and before you are doing something, you ought to be able to, uh, to be cautious. You ought to be, you know, to be cautious, to read between the lines. It only takes a few seconds to be much, much more clever and more accurate, even as an individual. So that, that, that's the one thing that is really important besides the technological advancements and all the AI that, you know, Sayabra or any other Cybra could develop. I think there's a five seconds gap that people need to put into their minds and, and just implement that and say, wait a second, before I do something, should I? That, that, that's a really good point, I think.
1: Okay. Can we just sort of, it sounds certainly we picked up on government companies and others. So how would you sort of describe, but best describe the ecosystem here and how should we really visualize that?
2: Yeah, so that's uh, interesting. so from uh, our perspective, from you know, the, the Global Engagement Center, uh, when I was with them, we put together a document um, and you can find it, it's out there uh, you know, in the public space. It's called um, Russia's Pillars of Propaganda and Disinformation. And there are basically five pillars. And we say that these five pillars make up an ecosystem because they uh, work in, in concert with each other. Um, So just from our our analysis of the Russian disinformation system, we look at it and say these five pillars are, you know, on the one end of the spectrum, official government communication, which is open and out there, but may contain disinformation. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's cyber-enabled disinformation. And I think the greatest uh, example of that would be the 2016 uh, US Democratic National Committee uh, cyber hack, where hack and release of emails from uh, John Podesta that revealed a few things in the lead up to our election. That was, you know, that was uh, cyber enabled uh, disinformation. Another recent example was um, the Lithuanian Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, website was hacked and a false press release was put on there that was that stated that uh, the U.S. government was moving um, assets from Incirlik, our uh, in Incirlik, Turkey, up to Lithuania. It was completely made up uh, and it was actually uh, happened when our Secretary of State was actually in Europe talking about similar issues, so um, that 's kind of on the other end cyber enabled disinformation complete hack. The Lithuanian government was able to immediately identify that as disinformation, but you know that 's something that takes a lot of assets it 's very deliberate. it takes more than one um, you know, arm of government to do that, and really only governments can can accomplish that. no one else, no one else in the spectrum has the power. In the middle of that, you've got you know from the, the federal government communications and cyber-enabled disinformation on the other end. You've got state-funded global messaging like um, RT and Sputnik, which are outward-facing organizations, funded state-funded organizations by uh, news organizations by Russia. And then you've got also proxy sources, and this is kind of the hardest, murkiest area, uh, where you've got websites that are consistently telling a, a narrative or policy line by a government, but they're not directly connected to the government, but their source of funding is murky. And oftentimes they get it from advertising and they exist because they make money off of advertising, but they're always pushing a government line, whether it's a, you know, a longstanding narrative issue or one that's very, very topical, like for example, uh, COVID. And then finally, there's weaponization of social media. That's also in the center. Also very difficult to find where false personas on social media, perhaps they might make two different false uh, personas and they'll take opposite ends of an issue only to exacerbate the differences within the actual organic conversations um, in that particular platform. So um, that's kind of the ecosystem. All of this is fitting for creating chaos because it doesn't require any type of harmonization among the different pillars. Sometimes the story can start by a government, uh, um, you know, press release, or sometimes it could just start in the middle in a a proxy uh, site, and then because it goes viral, then you have a state-sponsored media organization talking about it, um, and then it could jump the tracks into the mainstream media uh, worldwide. So this is why we call it an ecosystem. It doesn't require a, a memorandum or a secret, you know, um, a dead drop and to, to pick up and read and say, okay, let's all go do this. The system understands itself and just reacts um, at, at various times to whatever they know to be um, a direction they wanna take, you know, that, that the, a, a state wants to take a narrative.
1: So, so is this really, I understand the five pillars. Is it directed toward Governments, or is the private sector also a prime target for uh, for these attacks? Dan, do you want
3: to take that one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can only I can only speak. I assume from the uh, from, from the private sector, right? Uh, I, I don't I don't know what's happening within the, the governmental sector ones, but uh, but uh, this is not an assumption uh, this is, uh, this, this is what we see on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, we've been working with, uh, you know, fortune 500 companies in the news and media world, uh, which are the gatekeepers, right? They are the gatekeepers of information moving from the ones that are gathering them to the ones that are, you know, tuning in and listening to. Um, so, so sometimes they are having a hard time filtering and vetting out, uh, what is going through that pipe. Uh, we're seeing, consumer brands, consumer brands in the field of, you know, uh, uh, film production and, and, and celebrities and even high net worth individuals. Uh, none of them are government affiliated. And, and a lot of them are suffering from, you, you would not imagine, you, you know, suddenly you see a rumor around a, um, a football player and it's a rumor being propagated by tens of thousands of non-existing, completely inauthentic uh, profiles on social and traditional media uh, that have the power to change and have an outcome that could be hurting tremendously from a financial standpoint, from a brand image as as a as a, as, a, as a sport athlete, right? Uh, that's something that we've been seeing. Uh, we've even seen e-commerce websites that I've seen. Um, what we call, uh, uh, you know, decrease in their sales volume throughout the Black Friday uh, period of time. It's absolutely insane. Uh, it's just it's becoming more and more accessible, meaning that anyone can go into that system of ours that has been created a few years ago, and can skew with the public opinion, for better or for worse. So absolutely, the private companies are being targeted and are being. Skewed by bad and fake actors, no doubt in my mind. We're seeing this on a weekly basis.
2: Yeah. If, so if so that, that. You know, sorry, oh. Andy, just quickly, it's it's private sector. It's is it, it, it the question? Is it directed at private sector or governments? Obviously, it's directed at both. It's also directed at uh, national uh, strategic industries, which you know are obviously run by private sector but have a great interest to in governments as well. So. For example, you'll see lots of disinformation around, uh, say, when, let's just say, you know, a Japanese, an American, and a Russian um, uh, nuclear development, you know, nuclear power plant development company are up for a contract in South America. You're going to see lots of disinformation around that, but of course, it's of interest to, so you know, national interest to many players there, um, who gets that contract to develop that, you know, uh, uh, commercial nuclear power plant. Um, it'll also affect the area in the areas of uh, you know, oil and gas and other energies. Nord Stream two. Once again, it's a public-private consortium um, mm-hmm. to bring gas from Russia straight to Germany. Um, but uh, there's a lot of private sector, um, you know, business around that, and there are very, very strong differing opinions in Europe about, um, you know, how gas should be, you know, coming to uh, Western Europe and you know, from what sources. And so that's, you know, it's a uh, it's something that really affects both sides. And so you'll see a lot of that in that area as well.
1: Thank you very much. And so what Dan sort of starting with the private sector, what are the challenges and how can technology be used to solve this? And what are sort of the challenges? Is it the good versus the bad and who's leading (laughs) that race?
3: That's a tricky question. Um, I mean, I'll I'll answer as as humbly as I can, but I would say the following. I'd say that um, first and foremost, you know, as much as technology can do a great, you know, a great work at, you know, raising the flag really fast and analyzing the authenticity uh, of everything that's happening out there, um, I think that for the time being, and I, and I hope Vincent agrees with me, for the time being, there will always need to be as the last mile of that, you know, uh, of, that, of that trail uh, to have some sort of context. And so while technology can do a lot of things, creating context around a vast amount of data is something that is, again, very difficult for a technology to be able to do. So I would say that currently technologies have the ability to sort of gather around relevant pieces of information, create everything into one big pile of snowballs and start deep diving into just gigantic amount of of data. And that is something that is uh, within the technological boundaries that exist today and saves a lot of time for that one last mile, which is crucial and almost indispensable, uh, which is now that the technology found you know, what, you know, what, what's the exposure, what's the level of impact and what's the level of realness authenticity of a certain uh, disinformation threat. The last mile will always be um, what are we going to do about it? Right. And the countermeasure is something that at least from my angle, we haven't seen companies that are doing the, the detection. You know, you mentioned the good and the bad, and I'm always talking about the subjectivity of it, but, but the good and the bad. So if, you know, we believe that cyber is doing the, the good side of it because we're not, we're not part of the system. We're trying to find a cure for it. Um, we will never be caught entangled with the counter measuring aspect. I think there are other people, other players, other organizations that should be taking that aspect. Uh, and there's a very clear, you know, line in the sand around this. Um, that's how I look at this. I think, I think the ability to, to go deep into vast amount of data um, and, and, and reach a certain high level of accuracy, you know, 75, 80, 90% of accuracy and above, filtering between the real bad and fake is something that can tremendously help um, for the last mile and the indispensable one.
1: Yeah. And, and Vincent, is there so government relying on private sector or solving this on their own?
2: Well, uh, you know, we, we work in concert with private sector. I think I mentioned it before, the private sector can move much more quickly. They're developing, uh, you know, a- the AI products and machine learning products and big data analysis products that government just simply by its very nature, you know, cannot go out and, and, and design themselves, just like we don't go out and design the office furniture and the computers that we use. You know, there's a, it's, it's good that there is a private sector use for this. Um, but and we work with certain private sector companies uh, uh, to go out you know, to, to do this for us um, but in a certain special kind of way so you know you look at uh, you know a, one a normal process would be you know if, if you're if you're um, a company that sells shoes or you you know you make movies and you have movie star you know you have you know stars that you want to um, you know, promote, you would go out and you would find um, a social, a, a digital marketing company that has an ability to not so much manipulate social media, but, you know, use social media to promote that product. Well, we kind of have to do the opposite. You know, we, you know, we, when that product gets promoted, if, you know, the, the, a cluster of conversation around the, the release of those basketball sneakers or around, around the release of a film in a certain country, you know, all of that kind of concentrates in a certain period of time, um, we do it, we see it differently. Well, we, you know, what, what happens when we see disinformation is say, there's a concentration of false personas around an election in a place like Chile or in the Democratic Republic, of the Congo or the like. So we have to start at that point, look at it and say, okay, which of these are false personas that are attempting to direct the conversation and why? And so social media, so so these technology companies like Cyber and like others that we use can help us identify that and then reverse engineer it, and bring it back to the source. Whereas in the opposite, in the totally legitimate you know, world of capitalism, the world of uh, commerce, you know the source, you're the company, you wanna sell shoes, you go and you, buy, you purchase the services of a marketing, a digital marketing company, and you go about and do what I just described. It's very, very uh, murky going the other direction. And so we need the help of companies that have designed these systems to help reverse engineer them and get us back to the source. Um, and you know, one of the things I also want to agree with Dan very strongly, Dan and I go back a long way and many ways, we've kind of developed a, our, our views on these together as, it, as the situation has developed. Um, it, you know, by all means, it comes down to the last mile. The data that the technology companies can put together and bring to you and hopefully describe in a way that you know, your C-suite can make decisions on, it really just comes down to a decision um, from leadership one way or the other what to do about this um it is it it is a a cost in many ways you know it's a threat but it's a cost to your company in many ways like anything else is a cost and so it comes down to an executive decision and the the technology companies the what they can do is they can bring to you an interpretation of this data but in the end you've got to be able to make a decision on it i think the best technology companies are the ones that explain it to you in a way you know, explain it to the leadership in a way that they can um, you know, make the very best decision with the information that they have at the time. And uh, if it gets to it, I can talk about what I believe is a good protection plan um, for a company, a good way to go about that. But you know, um, if, if there's interest in that, I can talk in uh, some
1: detail. Dan on was later. very careful to sort of say there is a handover. Do you see the governments as sort of the body that will come back and deal with that threat once they've interpreted it? Or will it be a different type of company that potentially jam or react to uh, what's being defined as being fake and 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 endangering the corporation or the government?
3: I assume that question was uh, pointed at at both I think
1: Yeah, but please start off, uh, Dan, and
3: and then... Sure, sure, sure. Um, I I assume that there are things that the governmental sector is, without any doubt, able to do that a private sector company will never be able to do so. Um, we, you know, we, we, we've been working with, with a few uh, public sector uh, agencies and we've been working with a few private sector agencies and we, and we see the difference in the, uh, the, the remediation, the way that they would like to solve the problem. Uh, and we understand that, yes, of course, uh, uh, the governmental sector has, um, has the, the power and the will and the power to solve the issue and they are much much more educated nowadays than their private sector is so they represent an excellent way in a sense to to complete the equation i absolutely believe that i think that they 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 are a major part of this equation in order to solve this disinformation am i saying that the government has figured it out and you know count to 365 and you know poof no disinformation that that's not what i'm saying vincent uh, knows i appreciate everything that is being done i'm saying it's a it's a it's a tough problem and it's so recent and so new that while we are figuring it out and researching it from a tech perspective academic perspective and regulatory perspective uh, you need to remember that we, we all are on the same side of the boat, there's the other side of the boat, right? Which is those you know, bad and fake actors, which are getting better and better every time. So while we learn from our mistakes, so while we learn from the gaps, these gaps are still out there for the reason that sometimes it is simply a cat and mouse play. We'll get better at something, but they will too. Um, So I hope it answers the question.
1: It does. Fascinating. Uh, Vincent, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. um,
2: So, uh, you know, it is obviously the responsibility of government to uh, respond to uh, threats that are, you know, national threats and threats that are kind of persistent and directed at, uh, you know, that that are actually crimes. Um, And, but, you know, we also, we run into, and this is, this is kind of you know nefarious actors using our system of openness against us um, because we do run into an issue with um, you know in the United States what we call the First Amendment but you know it's just freedom of speech and it exists in all democracies and so it becomes difficult to say how do you go after this do you, you, know, do, you do you do you zap somebody and burn their IP address um, you know that they'll just start another one um, and and also you have to look at it and say these are kind of you know these are lies. Right, but when in the course of you know human history have we ever been able to stop people from lying? They're just lying better, and they're lying on a medium that has a global reach and moves faster. But it still lies. And um, you know, when you talk about uh, trying to limit that, you know, you also get into the area of trying to limit free speech, and you know, limiting free speech, and that's a very very slippery slope. I think um, you know the Supreme Court in the United States has had a lot of opinions on this. Um, you know they've uh, you know they, they, they've held the first you know they've they long held the, the first amendment of, uh, which is the freedom of speech in the United States to be sacred and and, and it extends to political advocacy. Um, but you know I think one opinion the Supreme Court has issued that I think sums it up perfectly is the remedy for speech that is false is speech that is true, and this is the ordinary course in a free society. Now that's that's hard to accept. When you know someone is lying about you on the internet, um, you know in, in, in a chat room or you know on a website, um, and they're doing it deliberately to harm you. But you know, uh, in a, in a society where we enjoy that you know the great democratizer, the you know the internet, um, you know it's advanced citizenship, and it comes with you know advanced problems that we have to learn to to um, accept. Now. Um, you know, getting around that, I think, you know, while there are certain legal resources and there are certain things that the responsibility of government to do, the most important thing is to, to build resilience against it. And Dan touched on that earlier, where, you know, educating people, you know, um, it, I, think, I think the real solution lies in education, critical thinking skills, um, critical analysis, and, and a recognition on the part of individuals and on societies that someone out there in the digital space is trying to manipulate your decisions and your viewpoints through lies and through manipulated information, deep fakes and the like. And they appear to be plausible, but you have to recognize that you know indulging some type of you know natural reflex to you know only view information that confirms your existing bias, or to you know to believe what you see because it's easy and, 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 and enjoy it, you know it helps you you feels good to believe it is intellectually lazy. You know, it's it, it is the individual's and society's responsibility really to develop the critical thinking skills or at least the ones that we have and start applying them to what's happening in the digital space. And that will be able to, uh, you know, help counter this much greater than laws or than kind of, you know, uh, decisive kinetic countermeasures of the like, because, you know, the greatest, the greatest way to defeat a lie is for, for everyone to know that it is a lie um, and uh, for, for people to understand the truth and demand the truth.
1: So One, it's extremely frustrating for sure. I mean, do you think that, um, how should we review this? What's a crime? What's not a crime? Where's the line? I, I certainly know from the world of finance we come from that it's very well defined where the red lines are and what the potential punishments are. Do you think the same should exist here or, or, or does it exist here?
2: Well, libel and you know, slander is a crime uh, in many countries and, you know, in the. the, the it's hard to, to define that um, and it's also hard to find the source of of uh, you know in social media and you know i have described that through the you know the proxy sites are a great way to mask where it's coming from so it is really kind of hard to get to who actually committed the crime that's not to say that there shouldn't be a body of laws you know in countries and an agreed upon you know body of in a body of laws you know that they're agreed upon internationally just like there are you know in many other you know, fields in human rights in you know uh, you know, the Geneva Convention and the, uh, you know, the conduct of war, warfare, uh, there's, you know, there's lots of, uh, you know, you know, there's maritime laws that we all agree upon, so there can be laws or, you know, rules and regulations that we agree upon internationally about how the internet should, uh, uh, you know, how information should be conducted on the internet, but, um, that's going to take some time to get to some consensus on that, and I highly doubt that everyone will agree with it, um, So I think, you know, in the end, uh, it becomes, um, you know, what are you doing to build your resistance and resilience to it versus what are you doing to actually prosecute the purveyors of it? I don't think you should, we shouldn't try to do that, but I I think realistically, it'll be very, very hard to be able to, you know, get consensus on what is a crime um, in terms of disinformation and also, you know, what should the punishment
1: be? Dan, do you want to add anything to that?
3: I think Vincent uh, touched on the, on the crucial points really nothing to add.
1: So so just from a country perspective and taking and sort of continuing on this line which I think is really fascinating do you see the west at least reaching a consensus and is it a global accept is there a global acceptance that it really is Russia China and Iran against the rest of us or are there other sort of mm-hmm. gray areas and gray countries and gray organizations as part of this too?
2: I think the latter. I think there'll, there'll be, it's not just those three of the, you know, they're the ones that we focus on. So I, I you know, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I take the opportunity to put that out there because it's where most of the, most of it's coming from at the time. But, you know, if it, if, if it proves to be an effective medium, others will get, will and have already gotten into the game. Um, you know, what, what, uh, but it, it, it may not be as publicly available information, or it may, you may know, kind of be boring to actually read about it in the news, but the truth is that governments are actually working together really closely. Um, and uh, we are working to have a kind of common playbook on how to deal with uh, disinformation so that it works broadly you know, across regions. I know in South and Central America, the countries are, are, are working together on this to you know, from a common approach, the Europeans the Baltic states, the Nordic states, other northern European countries have, uh, you know, come together and worked informally um, to, uh, you know, come from a common playbook on how to recognize, how to be resilient, how to respond to disinformation. information. Um, it's going to get harder when it comes from more than, you know, the, the sources that I've mentioned. Um, and uh, also, if those sources are kind of you know, murky and and, and uh, hidden inside proxy sites and inside false personas on social media. Um, but there is a general consensus on how to go about this. I think it really comes down to, you know, um, you know, when when people, when 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 uh, organizations ask us, you know, what do we do about this? I always say, you know, it's the three R's: recognition, resilience, and response. And I think governments and other organizations and civil society organizations are getting really good at um, helping groups recognize what is disinformation and how to be resilient against it. Um, That's kind of uh, where that's going. And I think you'll see it, uh, you know, countries and groups across countries, especially civil society are working from a common playbook right now, whether it's global or not, you know, let's talk about that in a few years.
1: It really sounds as if is uh, you've teed up uh, Sayabra in many ways. What's, what's...
2: <laughs> I didn't mean to, but it just comes so naturally because <laughs> <laughs> they really are right there. Um, and one one of the, you know that's that's an interesting point too. You know the um, the private sector should probably be in the the business of taking analyzing the data and getting it to the place where the decisions can be made. Um, anything past that is something that governments should do. But uh, Sayabra is actually um, you know one of the uh, organizations that have done really done a good job at doing that, you know, kind of identifying the information and just presenting it to you in a way that you can best make a decision about it. So, Dan, that was a, just a, a old face plug for your company. Um, yeah. uh, I hope, hope, you, uh, hope that's okay with you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Dan, anything you want to add?
3: Uh, I mean, after the flattering words, why would I? I mean, how big uh, is the
1: market though from a private company perspective? And we're obviously, we're investors in your company too. How big is this market and how fast do you think it's growing from the private sector at least?
3: Well, uh, you know, we, we've never had a doubt on the potential of, uh, of, of the outreach, of, of what we call the TAM, the total available, uh, total addressable market that there is, uh, simply because the more we move forward, the, the easier it becomes to see the nefarious impact and outreach that is being created over, uh, you know, largely super well-known brands, right? Uh, when, when we speak of CPG companies, when we speak of food and beverage companies, when we speak of automotive companies, um, and when we speak of even, even of the financial sector, because imagine what would happen if uh, there's a publicly traded stock that is being hurt by a very well orchestrated uh, snowball effect, right? Around a certain propaganda or a certain piece of information that is flying fast enough and deep enough. And then you suddenly see the, 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 the stock price dropping and then the valuation goes down by half a billion dollars. It happened in the past and it will continue to happen as long as we don't have a good filtering mechanism. So, I mean, the, the, the addressable market for a company like Sabra or any other similar company like Sabra is, I'd like to say, almost endless. We currently, you know, as Sabra, we're not currently targeting actively small and medium businesses, but, but anything that is mid-market and above that has the potential to be uh, uh, positively or negatively impacted by disinformation, so those bad and fake actors in question uh, could be a potential, uh, a potential customer of ours. Absolutely, and we've started working with them, you know, back then.
1: So, so that's highlighting the issue. But do you see the company evolving that you will take that next step, which you were so careful not to sort of go into, and say mm-hmm. we will develop an active tool in order to respond and maybe turn off the, the switch, such as the global sort of uh, the Chinese great <laughs> firewall or to react accordingly.
3: Uh, are you, oh, you're asking me uh, Sabra? Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: definitely. <laughs> uh,
3: and you know, if my co-founder was on the call, he would be dying from the inside of that question. No, let, let, let me, let me answer, let me answer. Um, I, don't, I do not see Sabra uh, getting into the, the, the remediation. Uh, And let me be clear on that. And everyone in that talk understands that we are leaving an enormous amount of money on the table by saying no to the countermeasure and to the, you know, the active part of the remediation. But we are sleeping extremely well at night because, because we've started the company with a moral compass that helps us understand and draw that line in the sand pretty easily um so so the, that that was the longer version of the explanation no,
1: we really appreciate that obviously and i think a lot <laughs> of the audience will too um vincent do you want to add anything to that yeah um i think you know from a government perspective uh you know Sabre's
2: on the right track there um it's part of the reason why we uh you know we are um associates with them um you know and i think on the government side you know it's you know what once you cross the tracks over to doing something like that Then it becomes difficult as a government to actually work with a private sector company because we're not sure who they took those active measures against in the past. Um, But also, uh, you know, we have our own uh, uh, red lines as well. And so we appreciate companies that have those red lines, those, you know, moral and ethical red lines. You know, we will never, ever be involved in, we will never, ever use disinformation as a tool against disinformers. Because when you do that, you really know better than them, and then your argument goes away completely. Number one, number two, the truth really is the best tool. Um, you know, go you know go to any uh, embassy around U.S. embassy around the world at 9 a.m. and go to the consular section near the the, the, the door for uh, where people line up to get visas and count the number of people that are waiting in line to come to the United States. We don't have to lie to push. You know what we have to offer the truth is truly, you know, is, is so much stronger than that. And so um, we'll never ever step into that side of the business because, you know, then we are no better than the people that are uh, our adversaries. And, <clears throat> and we believe that we are. Um, but it really, uh, you know, once you get into that field, once you get into that world, then you, um, you know, w- once you start targeting people, you become a target. You know, it's Murphy's law of, of combat. You know, if the enemy is within the range of your weapons, then you're in the range of theirs so uh it's not a really good uh route to go down and we you know we appreciate companies that don't do that kind of thing
1: thank you and as we sort of coming towards the end of of our hour sort of i think your last statement certainly was very positive but so do you think we're on our way to having a good outcome here
2: i do i think we're in a lot better place than we were you know, I, 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 I don't want to talk about elections. I certainly want to talk about current elections, but you know, we'll go back to 2016, you know, uh, in, in the United States, the elections, um, it didn't come out to the public in a, in a, in a major way that, you know, th- that states were attempting to alter the outcome of our election. They didn't, there, there's no evidence that they did, but they were attempting to until after the election. And so you had this entire electorate saying, wait, wait, was my vote manipulated? Did I vote, you know, based on false information? Well, um, you know, since then, you know, we had a, a, a thriving counter disinformation community has, has come up and cyber is a perfect example formed in 2018. So many other companies formed since then. Um, mm-hmm. But this huge counter disinformation community is comprised of governments that are, com- are cooperating, civil society organizations that, either, that have either come up out of this or have completely repivoted And they're now, you know, 50% involved in how to recognize disinformation and how to, pr- to um, promote, uh, you know, uh, critical thinking in the uh, information space, academia has moved in this direction, the press, the private sector, citizens around the world are, are, are refusing to tolerate these tactics and they're pushing back. And I think the evidence of that is going into our latest election and there's been many other elections around the world that we work, you know, that, that, you know, that we monitor through the State Department and through other, you know, that others monitor where, Everyone that goes into the vote knows now that they're being manipulated. There's someone's attempting to manipulate them. So they go in and they make their best choice. I think we're in a much better place than we were. Will we ever defeat it? Like I said, you know, what's the uh, chance of uh, stopping people from lying? It's never been done before. I don't think we will, but we'll get a lot better at recognizing the lies and pushing back and preserving the integrity of the uh, information space. I think we're on the right
1: track. Thank you. Dan, your closing sort of thoughts?
3: Look, Andy I was I was born and raised in, in France I'm a romantic by by nature so <laughs> I'm optimistic now nah, jokes aside I'm optimistic I think that uh, I agree with Vincent you know we're, we're seeing that there's, there's actually an expression in French that says that we're seeing companies pop up like mushrooms under the rain uh, in in our field uh, and and it's and it's a good thing I don't I don't see competition as being a bad thing because it, because it only it only increases the exposure and the education side that Vincent, you know, so elegantly explained earlier, that that's it, right? The, the, the more companies we have trying to solve that huge problem for the private and the public sector, um, the better we are at understanding it and the better we are at moving towards a more mature and 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 getting to the last, you know, last pieces of the puzzle to solve it through technology. Uh, I'm optimistic. I think we're on the right path. Uh, There's always a, you know, that 1% in my heart because I'm always thinking as my co-founders taught me, you know, coming from this uh, information warfare and like cybersecurity background saying, you're never sure, you're never sure. They always get better what they do. You always see, you know, small improvements. Uh, but we are optimistic and we can see that even from a cyber standpoint, we see that we're moving along the line really well. We've got wonderful investors to support us. We've got, you know, we've got customers that are giving us the right proof. Um, I am. I am optimistic.
1: Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Vincent. I think we've really sort of discussed some very interesting and nuanced points today and throughout the last seven episodes. Thank you to the speakers and thank you to our partners at Salt. If you want more information on our crowd, please go to www.ourcrowd.com. Thank you, John.